Friends, one of the central themes in Luke's gospel is how Jesus reaches out to share God's love and compassion with notorious social and religious outcasts. People like women of ill repute, lepers, tax collectors. And among the evangelists, Luke alone records Jesus' encounter with the chief tax collector of the region surrounding and including the ancient city of Jericho, a man named Zacchaeus. Now, before we read about that event, we need to know what made tax collectors both social and religious outcasts. First, they directly served Rome at a time when Judea was part of an occupied Roman province. And when the Jews understandably chafed at the presence of Romans in their midst. And taxes in particular reminded the Jews of oppressive Roman rule and that they were no longer a free people. A second factor was that tax collectors bid to the Romans for local tax franchises. It was a franchise business. And whatever they collected over the purchase price was pure profit. So they had a clear motive to gouge their own people in order to line their pockets. Now in our text, Luke describes Zacchaeus as a chief tax collector who was very rich. So he'd been very successful in enlarging his profit margin. So as Barb comes to read our text, play close attention to how Zacchaeus behaves and what you think he may be feeling. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, he has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. The word of the Lord. Friends, I think Zacchaeus experiences three realities. And they are guilt, grace, and gratitude. Or you could say them... Uh, Sin, salvation, and service. Now, it's impossible to completely psychoanalyze what Zacchaeus was feeling. We're separated by two millennia, different culture, different language. But in light of his behavior, I think he was obviously weighed down with sin and deep guilt. 
and the resulting alienation from both the Almighty and from other people as well. He paid a very steep price for his wealth. Being a virtual outcast in Jewish society, though he had status with the Roman occupiers. And that sense of being an outcast meant that he was deeply attracted by Jesus' reputation for showing the compassion and grace of God. For associating with people not unlike himself. So when he heard that Jesus was passing through Jericho, the diminutive Zacchaeus climbed a sycamore tree to get a view. He didn't have the temerity or the courage to somehow push his way through the large crowd to get to the front so that he could see. But he hoped that even though his view might be more distant than others, he would at least have an unobstructed view of this fascinating healer and teacher named Jesus of Nazareth. So once he is there... Zacchaeus experiences grace when, to his utter amazement, Jesus looks up, calls him by name, and invites himself, and a dozen others, to be Zacchaeus' dinner guest that evening. Emily Post would never encourage you to do the same. But for Zacchaeus, that was really important because eating with another person, having table fellowship in first century Judaism, was a clear mark of acceptance, full acceptance. So Luke reports, Zacchaeus hurried down and was happy to welcome him. Well, that's an understatement. Zacchaeus probably felt like he just won the lottery. To be accepted by Jesus of Nazareth, this prominent teacher and healer, was a breakthrough for Zacchaeus and gave him hope he might shed his status as an outcast. Just by eating with Zacchaeus, Jesus communicates God's grace and acceptance. And as Zacchaeus' status rose, Jesus' reputation falls. Luke reports, all who saw it began to grumble and said, Jesus has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Not a garden variety sinner, a notorious outcast. That scum, Zacchaeus. So Zacchaeus experiences guilt. He carries guilt with him probably all the time. He experiences the grace of Christ, and then I interpret this to be a response that happens in Zacchaeus' home later during the dinner party. In response to Jesus' grace, Zacchaeus expresses his gratitude and his penitence, friends, in a lavish commitment, sort of Bill Gates-ish, to give half of his assets away to the poor, and not when he dies, right then. And he makes a vow Anyone I have defrauded, I will make restitution fourfold. Friends, the Torah, the law of God, only requires a double restitution. So he doubles what is necessary, what is the revealed will of God. This is a lavish display of his gratitude for the grace of Christ. Guilt, grace, gratitude. A very simple summary of the Christian faith. And it is, I believe, exactly what Zacchaeus experienced. That same summary is included in the second question that Anna just led us in responding to that's part of the Heidelberg Catechism. Additionally, in a famous passage you all know from Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, he presents the gospel in those same three ways, those same three ingredients. To begin with, 
In chapter 2, Paul tells his readers they were dead through their trespasses and sins in which they once lived. And second, he says, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, but the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. And finally, Paul talks about our grateful response of Christian service. He continues, for we are what God has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. In his book, Shame and Grace, Christian ethicist and scholar Lewis Smedes tells the true story of a woman who experienced those three realities, guilt, grace, gratitude. He writes, in Pulaski, Tennessee, where the Ku Klux Klan was born, a young minister named George Regas opened the door of his office one day to a woman who had scandalized the town by having a spectacular affair with a man who really stood for something in that town. She did not have to tell the minister who she was. In Pulaski, everybody knew her. In public, Amarelda, let's call her that, flaunted the furies of southern shame, and in high style, too. She'd been kicked out of the Methodist church, divorced by her husband, but she wore her scarlet letter with withering nonchalance. However, in the office of the young minister, Amarelda was a tired spirit, heavy with guilt and shame. Father Regus, I'm not worthy of God, but I desperately need him. I'll do anything to gain back God's love. Please, please help me. I'm so empty. Well, he told her there was nothing she could do to gain back God's love because she had never lost it. Amarelda fought a savage fight against grace. Her sin was too sordid. Her character too soiled for grace. Regis countered, no, that's not the way it works. God will accept you as you are by his grace. You already feel all the sorrow you need to feel. Amarelda gradually let herself be accepted by God and gradually accepted herself in the same grace God gave her. She slowly let the unshaming acceptance of people in that church get inside her soul. In the feeling of their acceptance, she felt the wonder of the word of God. You are accepted. I do not believe that guilty and shamed woman could have discovered the grace of God in Pulaski, Tennessee, if she had not met him in the faces of a family of grace-based persons. Well, after Amarelda's heavy shame and guilt had been replaced by the lightness of grace, she became a grace-embodying person for others. There in Pulaski in the year 1957, when the Ku Klux Klan set the moral agenda, Amarelda reached out in grace to her black sisters and brothers, accepting them as she had been accepted. So friends, this woman experienced guilt and then grace and responded with gratitude. So as you leave worship today, I hope you'll do so with this earworm. It's not my earworm. It's the Apostle Paul's earworm. It's the earworm of the two theologians who wrote the Heidelberg Catechism. I think it's Jesus' earworm too. That the message of Jesus Christ is summarized in three simple words. 
guilt, grace, and gratitude. Or alternately, sin, salvation, and service. Now, we're probably all at different places precisely on our spiritual journey. But I'm wondering if you've experienced a deep need for redemption, for Jesus Christ, for the saving grace He alone provides. And hopefully, you've brought that need in faith to Christ and received that unmerited, that free grace, mercy, forgiveness. And if you've made or had those two experiences, then the big question, and the big question for the rest of all of our lives, is how are we expressing our thanks? That's really what the Christian life is all about. How are we going to express our thanks today, this week, this month, this year, and on? I love the fourth verse of Isaac Watts' hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, where he expresses lavish thanks. Here are his words. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Friends, it demands our souls, our lives, our all. Let us pray. Grace-giving God, convict us of our sin using guilt if necessary, and then allow us to trust the good news of your grace for us in Christ, and enable us by your Spirit to respond gratefully with dedicated service. Through Christ the Lord we pray. Amen.